0: Good morning. I, I tell you, I'm loving this new service time. I'm usually up here pretty darn hungry, and um, I'm not this morning. That's great. So this is, this, this is terrific. Let me get my sermon in order. Okay. We are in the middle of our sermon series that corresponds to the prayer of Jabez. We've been tasked this link, this lint, for um, three things. One is to pray daily. Daily, we are praying the prayer of Jabez as a community, asking God to bless us indeed, to increase our territory for the gospel, that his hand would be upon us, the wind of his Holy Spirit, and that we would not cause harm to our families and to those that we come in contact with day in and day out. That's task one to pray every day. The second task is to read this book once a week. That has been the plan, that has been the attempt. And it's a wonderful book, and it's very worthwhile to read every week. And then the third task, perhaps the most challenging task, is to engage those who come across our path with our faith. Engage those people, day in and day out, who come to us and share our faith story with them, share the gospel with them. We've been charged with it at least once a week, but I suspect that you, like me, have found these people coming out of the woodworks lately. And it is only then that I see how challenging this really is. Last week, John spoke to us about going out and finding those who do not know the gospel, finding the ones blowing the whistle. And he said, the best place to start is in your home. And I would agree with that wholeheartedly. The best place for us to start this task is in our home. And so that's what we will look at this morning. What does it look like in our homes? And this isn't just our families. This isn't just our children, this isn't just our spouses or even our grandchildren, this is everybody who's coming in and out of our homes, perhaps even in and out of our lives on a daily basis. So this could be your children, and it certainly is, but it could also be your mailman, or the man who comes and cuts your grass, or the man who's doing the pesticides, or your friends who are for dinner. All of these people are in and out of our lives. And all of these are what, what Bruce Wilkinson would probably call, call J-Bez appointments, chances to share your faith and spread the gospel. So that is the context for this sermon this morning, but we will begin with our children because I think that is, 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 well, it's important, obviously, and it's the people we have the most influence over, and they're representative of everybody who we have influence over. So I've got some statistics for you that I found pretty surprising When teenagers were asked in a recent survey, who has the biggest influence over their lives, 78%, this is almost a full 80%, said their parents. 78, that's a big number. Coming in second on the list, they listed several. The second one was friends, and they had 50%, so it's really not even close. Way down at the bottom of the list was us pastors at 27%. (laughs) Another survey done by the Mayo Clinic about risky behavior in teenagers concludes, The most effective way to protect young people from unhealthy or dangerous behaviors is for parents to be involved in their lives be involved in their lives. That sounds easy enough. I mean, it doesn't say what to do or you have to do this number of hours. It just says be involved. Yet another survey, college freshmen. This is a survey of college freshmen. And so for college freshmen who stayed in church while they were in college, this survey founds that their, finds that their parents were twice as likely to talk about their faith in home than parents of children who left the church. Twice as likely. uh, And students who stayed in the church throughout college, the first thing they did when they had doubts or fears or anxiety, it wasn't to read the Bible. It wasn't to go to their friends. It wasn't to go to their professors or their advisor. It was to call their parents. These are encouraging statistics. These are encouraging surveys that the children want to know what their parents are saying and doing and want to be a part of their lives. But the question becomes then, if we have such a big influence over our children, over the people in our lives, why are so many young people leaving the church? Why are they leaving? If we have influence, why are they leaving? we well, remember that question, and we'll come back to it. But first, a brief reflection on the tea room. I had a lovely time at the tea room several times. I have a very precious three-year-old daughter who loved the tea room. And every day, she would say, I want to go to the tea room. Let's go to the tea room. And so we brought her a few times. She had these wonderful choices to order. She could have had a she crab soup. She could have had tomato pie. She could have had shrimp salad or chicken salad. But she picked peanut butter and jelly every time. And sometimes she actually ate it. And it came with a nice side of chips. And she liked these chips, but she, it was usually too much, and she wouldn't eat them all. And so these delicious chips usually came home with us with about half of the peanut butter and jelly. And what we did with that peanut butter and jelly was to give it to my daughter, Lucia, for lunch the next day. And the chips went with her. But the chips came home one day, uneaten, which was pretty unusual for her. And I said, Lucia, what's going on? Why didn't you eat your chips? And she said, Daddy... They are puffy and bendy. The chips were puffy and bendy. Now, I've never seen a puffy or a bendy potato chip, but I picked them up. And sure enough, these crisp lady lays were now puffy and bendy. In fact, they were just stale and pretty gross looking. (laughs) Puffy and bendy. And so as we come back to our question, why are the young people leaving the church? Could it be that our faith is puffy and bendy? Could it be that our faith is stale? Could it be that we're leaving this place just like the chips left the tea room and keeping it in a box? These are the facts from a 2007 survey. This will be, well, next to last statistic or survey. Seven in ten Protestant young adults, that's us, Protestant our young adults, seven in ten between the age of 18 and 30 leave the church. That is 70%. 34% do not come back at all. Some come back sporadically. Some come back in amazing ways. God works in their hearts and brings them back for good. But 70% leave. And so in a world where parents have influence over their children, and yet 70% of them are leaving the church, it seems that our faith may be a little stale. And that is confirmed by one more recent survey from the Barna Group, they surveyed parents and asked them what their number one goal for their children was, and their number one goal is that their children get a good education. Not to fall in love with Jesus Christ, but to give a good education. Half, half of them, no, half as many as the ones who wanted a good education stressed faith in Jesus Christ. So perhaps we've given ourselves over to a stale faith. Chips are going stale overnight. Our faith is leaving this church, maybe. They're going stale in a box. And so if we have influence over our kids, what are we feeding them? Well, maybe we should pay attention to that. Maybe we should pay attention to the biblical vision for what we feed our children, but not just our children, for our neighbors and our friends, everybody coming in and out of our house. What does God have to say about our homes? What should they look like? Well, it's not a stale vision, but one that's actually quite dynamic. The whole New Testament speaks about it, but the fact of the matter is we have to deal with some pretty challenging passages like the one from Matthew today. And so as we look at this, as we look at Matthew, as we look at Deuteronomy, I suggest that there are three things that we can gather from the Scriptures that we should embrace at home. They conveniently all start with the letter E, so hopefully they can be remembered. Our faith should be embracing. Our faith should be expanding. And our faith should be encompassing. Embracing, expanding, and encompassing. Let's unpack that just a little bit. Embracing. This is a key point that Jesus is making. Not just here, but throughout the Gospels, throughout the New Testament, Jesus is saying our faith should embrace everybody. Now, this would be quite different from the Pharisees. The Pharisees were a sect within Judaism. They were part of God's chosen people. And they were concerned that God needed to come back and restore them and restore their fortunes and restore their nation like he had promised in the Old Testament. And so they spent a lot of time making sure they had their houses in order, making sure they were cleaned up, making sure they were doing the right things, making sure they were following every letter of the law, essentially focusing on themselves. But the fact of the matter is, they forgot one of the most important, if not the most important, roles for the nation of Israel was to be a light to the other nations, a light to the people that God was trying to reach. And they had forgotten about that. And so here they were, and they see Jesus, and Jesus is moving about, and he's doing all these signs and miracles, and claiming to be the Messiah. And they say, okay, maybe he is. Jesus, give us a sign. Give us a sign. Jesus has spent 12 chapters in the Gospel of Matthew giving people signs. And the Pharisees need a sign. But he complies, he gives them one, a rather interesting and strange and certainly convicting sign. The sign of Jonah. You may remember Jonah, he was a prophet, an Old Testament prophet. God came to in Israel and said, Jonah, I want you to go to Nineveh. I want you to preach my love and my salvation to the people of Nineveh. They're not part of the Jews, but that's okay. And Jonah said, well, maybe Nineveh is over here close to Baghdad. I think I'll go to Spain, which is way over here on the other side of the world. And God was not pleased. And so God sent a storm to capture his ship. And just before the ship was to wreck, Jonah implored of the other sailors to throw him overboard. Save yourselves by throwing me overboard. God is punishing me. And so they threw him over and he was quickly eaten by a giant fish. He spent three days and three nights in the belly of this fish and then repented and was spit up on dry land. So that's the sign that Jesus gives the Pharisees. But someone greater than Jonah is here and it's Jesus Christ himself. And Jesus Christ himself was spend three days in the belly of the earth. Put there by us, put there by our sin, put there by our transgressions, put there by our disobedience. He was perfectly obedient. We were disobedient. And because of that, he paid the price. He went to the cross. We sang a song at the nine o'clock service that said it was our sin that held him there on the cross. And He spent three days in the belly of the earth and was risen from the dead so that we might be forgiven, so that our sins might be forgiven, so that all who believe in Jesus Christ would have the reconciliation with God that the Pharisees are looking for and are blind to see. But this reconciliation is not just with us and God. It's between us and our neighbors. And thus we have a faith that is embracing. We believe in a God who embraces everyone who believes in Jesus Christ. And so we're called to embrace everyone who believes in Jesus Christ. It's a biblical vision of the family. The problem is we have embraced, rather than that biblical vision, we're embracing the culture's vision. And that is a vision that our faith is private. Live and let live. You know, my faith is good for me, but it might not be good for you. Maybe you can find your own way. Do we not sometimes do this with our children? Oh, they're they're on their own journey. They need to make their own decisions. Well, they do, but if they don't have a foundation of faith, they're not going to make the right ones. If our children, if our neighbors, if the people that we come in contact with every day don't see us praying, if they don't see us reading the Bible, if they don't see us discussing our faith with each other and with our spouse, how can they possibly believe? How can they possibly know God? The cultural taboo that our faith is private is exclusive. It does not embrace anybody except ourselves. Frankly, it is stale. It is inwardly focused. So we have an embracing faith. Point number two, the fact that we should have an expanding faith naturally flows from point number one. If our faith embraces everybody, then our families, our faith family, will expand. It will grow. It will grow to our children. It will grow to our parents and our grandparents. But it will grow to the guy down the street. Let's read this passage from Jesus. He's teaching his disciples, and this wouldn't just be his 12 disciples it will be a much larger group that weren't part of the twelve, and he's teaching them. and his mother, Mary and his brothers come to him, and somebody delivers them this message, "Hey, Jesus, your mother and your brothers are here." And Jesus responds in verse 48, "Who is my mother, and who are my brothers?" Stretching out his hand toward his disciples, he said, "Here are my mother and my brothers. For whoever does the will of my Father in heaven is my brother and my sister." and my mother. Now, frankly, it sounds to me like Jesus just dismissed family ministry. That Jesus just dismissed faith at home, that maybe I might need to look for another job. But I don't think so, for a number of reasons. But one is the Scripture wholeheartedly affirms the family, wholeheartedly. Consider Matthew's teachings or Jesus' teachings on divorce in Matthew and Mark and Luke, in all of them, really. Jesus does not, con- uh, does not approve divorce because it tears up the family. It messes up with God's plan of parents passing their faith to their children. It's not consistent with his word. Paul in Ephesians and Colossians lays out plans for the family, for husbands and wives, for parents and children. The entire Bible is affirming the family. So what we have to understand is Jesus is not dismissing the family. He is redefining it. We have our families, our nuclear families, our immediate families, and we have our extended family that includes grandparents and aunts and uncles. It includes the child down the street whose parents are checking out, who comes to your house for dinner three or four times a week. It includes the folks at the Presbyterian home who have no family left. This family has all passed away or moved out of town, who are lonely. They're part of our family. They're part of the folks that need to hear the gospel, that need to be fed by the gospel, that we need to bring the gospel to. And so Jesus, rather than focusing on who Mary is and who his brothers are, that's not the focus. The focus is on who his disciples are. There's a, a radical change of who they are. They're now part of the family. Certainly this is contrary to the Pharisees' exclusive vision. We wouldn't expand our family, we're the people of God. But Jesus Christ, the Messiah, has expanded the family of God. And so by following that example, by expanding our families, we are avoiding the fate of the potato chips. We're avoiding staleness in our faith. It follows naturally from point number one. If we're inclusive with our faith, if we're embracing with our faith, then we will share it. We won't hide it. Our family will expand. We'll welcome people into our families. This is the church family, but this is our family at home. It's embracing a vision that is bigger than we are. Expanding. And finally, our faith is encompassing. Deuteronomy 6 has a lot to say about this. If we leave our faith in a box, it will go stale. But if our faith encompasses every being, every fiber of our body, it will overflow. It will be dynamic and exciting when we leave this place. And so we have Deuteronomy 6, 4. Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. These are the words I command you today, and they shall be on your hearts. That is an encompassing word. Our hearts, our souls, our minds, they shall be written on our hearts. Every fiber of our body. And because of that, we have these next verses. These aren't commands, this isn't a checklist. This is just what happens when you have an encompassing faith. You shall teach them diligently to your children. You shall talk of them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, and when you lie down, and when you rise. This isn't a checklist. If you wake up and say, okay, I'm faithful in the morning, check. I'm faithful in the car on the way to work, check. I'm faithful before I go to bed, check. If it's a checklist, it will be meaningless. It will just be one more thing that you have to do. But if your faith is encompassing, it will overflow, and you can't help but talk about it. You can't help but talk about it in your car or with your coworkers, with your family, your children, your neighbors. You just can't help. It encompasses every bit of your life. That's not stale. That's exciting. It's dynamic. It's a faith that's been unleashed from its box and transforms the world. So we have the three E's. Our faith should be embracing... It should be expanding, and it should be encompassing. As we go forth from here today, let us remember that. But before we close, I would like to mention one more thing, and this is a bit serious. That's okay. It's Lent. We can be serious. We wouldn't say, Alleluia, or anything like that during Lent. And so this fits. The consequences of this task are very important to consider. Jabez, part of his prayer, part of our prayer, is that you would keep me from evil, that I may not cause pain, that I may not cause harm. There is no better way to harm somebody than to keep this in a box. There's no better way to harm somebody than forget your faith when you leave these doors. We have been called to rescue the ones blowing the whistle. That's an image from the movie Titanic. Those people are not sitting here on West Carolina Avenue smelling the azaleas. They're drowning. They're drowning in the frigid icy waters. They are drowning in a hostile culture. And God has put it on us to bring the good news of the gospel to them. And so as I was researching my sermon, I quite by chance came across this quote. It was on a friend of mine's blog, This is from an 18th century preacher. His name was Edward Payson. And if you're a preacher in the 18th century, it means you're in the Great Awakening. He's a Congregationalist, and so you might be able to guess what this sermon includes. But I think it's important nonetheless. So Edward Payson says to us this morning, We profess to believe the Word of God, but can you prove that you believe it? Do you act as if you believed it? Do you believe that many of your acquaintances, your children, are in danger of the fate which has been so vividly described in the Bible? Dare we go to God and say, Lord, I believe thy word. I believe that all your warnings and threats will be fulfilled. And then, as if I believe nothing, turn away and coolly pursue my worldly business without uttering one agonizing cry for those who are exposed to this danger. Dare we go and claim relationship to Christ and profess to have his spirit and then make no effort or only a few faint efforts to save those for whom he shed not tears only, but blood. Here is what Edward Payson has to say to us. Here is what he says. Go, go, inconsistent, cruel, hard-hearted professors. Go slumber over the ruin of immortal souls. Wrap yourself up in your selfish, temporal interests and say, I have no time to spare for rescuing others from everlasting burnings. Go, wear out your life in acquiring property for your children, and leave their souls to perish in the fire that shall never be quenched. Go, adorn their bodies, and banish from their minds, if possible, the knowledge of such a wicked disease. And when God asks, where is your child? Where is your brother? Where is your friend? Reply with the irreverent cane I know not, I care not, am I his keeper? Friends, these are convicting words. They have convicted me to the heart. Are we content with a stale faith? Are we content to profess belief and yet walk away from this place and put our faith in a box? Do not let your faith go stale. May it be embracing. May it be expanding. May it be encompassing. It may begin in your homes with your children and your spouse, your friends, your neighbors, everyone that you see day in and day out. Amen. Amen.